Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. first lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah in the 25th chapter. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us this day. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The palace of aliens is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in their distress, a shelter from the rainstorm and a shade from the heat. When the blast of the ruthless was like a winter rainstorm, the noise of aliens heat like in a dry place, you subdued the heat with the shade of clouds. The song of the ruthless was stilled. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich foods, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear, and he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is a cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God, we have waited on him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And from the New Testament, this parable that Jesus speaks in recorded in Matthew 22. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, everything is ready come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it, and they went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite people you find to the wedding banquet. Those servants went out to the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see his guest, he noticed a man who was there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And the king said to the man, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man was speechless. The king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into outer darkness 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. This week, I heard the joke that had been voted the best religious joke of all time. If you were here on Wednesday night, you heard it too. So with crediting Jeff uh, Myers, um, I'm going to share this joke. Once I saw this man on a bridge. He was about to jump. I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region, Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic. According to an online poll, that is the best religious joke of all time. It was written by Emo Phillips, who is a comedian and a entertainer. Um, he also was one of the producers of that um, movie that you may have seen, you, you may have seen uh, Meet the Parents a number of years ago. And I think the joke speaks to something very powerful in us. We want to be connected to people who are like us. And when we discover that someone is, has that connection, we delve deeper into it. Yet, we also fear people who are a little bit different. This past Thursday at the men's prayer breakfast, Ed Booth shared some of the history of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And um, Ed, like the good college professor he is, um, had a, a handout, and it had a, a, a timeline of the Eastern Orthodox Church faith, and it begins with Pentecost, and it goes all the way up to the present. There is a horizontal line that goes across this page that is the, the trajectory and the growth of the Eastern Orthodox Church. It is the level line that you see. And then in 1085, there is a break or a... a slight upward movement, and that is the Great Schism, where the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church split off. And then there's another split off where the Protestants came off, and then later the Church of England. And what's notable about this is that the norm here is the Eastern Orthodox Church faith, and that's usual because we want to make our experience the norm, and that's what they are doing in this, in, in, with this handout. It is normal. Now, if any of us did this, we would probably set a different norm um, that would trace our own lineage back to the very beginning of the Christian faith as well. 
I say this not to say that um, all religious ideas are the same, because there are differences that we need to acknowledge and uh, be aware of. I um, am not saying that it does not matter what our theology is, because theology does matter. Some ideas and some talk that we use in church and in, in our own lives um, leads to good things. Some ideas and some of the talk we have in our own minds leads to some things that are not so good. As an heir to the Reformation of John Calvin and Martin Luther, I affirm the good fruit that that Reformation project produced. At the same time, I also, produce, I also affirm the good fruit of our Roman Catholic and our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters. Those traditions have done good things that have helped share the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. But all of our traditions, the Protestant tradition, the Roman Catholic, and the Eastern Orthodox, all of them have been responsible for some things that have happened over time that are not so good. We have all had bad behavior in our histories. We have all used self-justification as a means to excuse things that we should not have done. All of us are eager to point out where other people are wrong, and we claim them to be heretics, and we throw that word around with some degree of, not, not as common as we once did, but we have this idea that if they're not with us, they are opposed to us. All of that points up that this following Jesus stuff is tough. It's tough to sort through all of these stories that Jesus told and, and to realize that other people have different ideas about how we follow Jesus. Now, during this month of October, the sermons have been based on a series of Jesus' teachings and his um, encounters. And the first Sunday of October, it was the story, the parable that Jesus told about the, the vineyard owner who had two sons. He asked one son to go out into the vineyard and work, and the son said, no, I will not go. But later he changed his mind and he went. He asked the second son to go and work in the vineyard, and the, the second son said he would go, but later he changed his mind and he did not go. And Jesus asked the question, which one of those did the will of the Father? Last week, it was the parable of the wicked tenants. The vineyard owner had leased the, the vineyard to uh, tenants who grew the grapes, and when it became time to, for the harvest to come, the vineyard owner sent his messengers to, uh, for, to ha have, the, the, have them do the harvest and uh, gather the grapes in, but they did not do that. They rejected, they beat up the servants. Then the vineyard owner sent his son, and the uh, tenants killed the son. And the vineyard owner then responded and laid waste to the tenants, but he gathered, he had others gather the fruit, and they shared the fruit of the vine. Next week, to give you a preview, we're going to be talking about um, the Jesus' passage when he was asked, is it lawful to pay taxes? So that's just a preview, okay? So come back. But today, the story is about this wedding. It's tough stuff. This wedding, 
There is a king who his son is getting married and, and so he wants to have festivities. Yes, we all want festivities at weddings and he prepares a party and he invites his list. He sends messengers out with the invitations, but they ignore him. They ignore the messengers or some of them beat up some of the messengers and even some of the messengers are killed and the king is furious. The king is absolutely livid. And so the question is, what happens? How does this all come about? Now, all of these stories, all of these parables are set in the time when Jesus is in the temple. He's talking to the crowds that are gathered in the temple, the religious leaders and the other people who gathered. It's before he is betrayed, before his crucifixion. And there, there are um, horrible things going on. The very, very first thing that Jesus did before he started telling any of these stories, the very first thing he did was he turned over the, the uh, he turned over the, the tables of the money changers. He turned over the, the, what, the places where they were selling um, animals for sacrifice. He said, this is not the way we are to worship. We're not to worship by exchange and commerce. We are to worship through reconciliation and service. That theme illuminates all of these parables of Jesus and his teachings. Therefore, the king says in the parable, he says, come and and enjoy the feast that has been prepared for you. But the response is nothing or it is a violent rejection. And so the king then sends messengers out and he says, tell everyone to come. The Common English Bible put it this way, go to the roads on the edge of town and invite everyone to the wedding party. Go to the farthest regions you can and invite them to come in to celebrate this. And that's what the messengers did. And the crowd did come and the crowd celebrated. There is a familiar tone or a similar tone in this parable to what happened in Isaiah 25. The children of Israel had been in captivity but the captivity was not the final word. There would be a rescue. There would be deliverance. There would be salvation. Not only would the oppressor's cities be destroyed, but there would be a new way of living together, just like there were new people at that party in the parable. Isaiah put it this way, for you have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in their distress, a shelter from the rainstorm and a shade from the heat. The Lord subdued the heat with a shade of clouds. The song of the ruthless was stilled. On the mountain, the Lord of hosts makes way for all peoples, a feast of rich foods, of well-aged wines, of rich food with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And the Lord will destroy on this mountain, the shroud that is cast over peoples, the things that separate people, the Lord will destroy. The sheet that is spread over all of the nations, the Lord will destroy. The Lord will swallow up death forever. The Lord will destroy death and separation. And the Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will wipe away disgrace. He will wipe away shame for the Lord has spoken. 
It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in this salvation. Wow. Ooh, some sort of great party where all are brought in and made to participate. We are invited to come as we are. The people on the edge of town, the people on the edge of the society, the people on the edge of the world are invited to come. Yet when we come in to this feast, not only are we fed, but we are changed. We must expect to be changed when we come. Have you ever changed? Or let me rephrase that. What have you changed? What have you changed because of your faith in God through Jesus Christ? What practice, what idea, what notion, what has changed over the course of your lifetime? The Christian Century is a magazine that has influenced generations of uh, Christian leaders, writers, and, and teachers since 1884. And every few years it publishes a, a series of articles. They invite different people to write on the theme, How My Mind Has Changed. Think about that. How has your mind changed in faith? One way that my mind has changed in faith is that I have changed in believing that sheer force of will can change a person. Sheer force, forcing someone to, to do something or say something is not the way to experience true community. It's not the way to conversion. This week I heard a, a, a statement, you can't make a bean plant grow by pulling it, right? That makes sense. I thought it must have been said by a farmer. It was said by a psychiatrist. But there's something to it. You can't make a bean plant grow by pulling it. You can't pull a plant. Well, you can pull a plant, but if you pull it too hard, you pull it out of the ground. And you can't pull a plant so it grows. You can train a plant. You can assist, but you cannot make it grow by pulling it, by sheer force of will. Often in our lives, we struggle with feeling like either we are forced to conform to something or we are forcing others to conform to something. Yet God intersects our life at a place to produce fruit so that that will not to coerce, but that will to live and thrive jumps up at us. Emo Phillips' joke about the Baptist could have just as easily been told about Presbyterians, you know? I mean, we are a pretty contentious lot as well. And I think that's one of the powerful reasons that such humor is a tool. It lets us glimpse ourselves just for a second and then realize that even as we may objectify other people, we have things in our own lives where we need to confess, where we need to be accountable, where we need to allow ourselves to be changed. The cartoonist Walt Kelly put it this way, we have seen the enemy and they is us. Yeah, we have seen the enemy and they is us. You can't will someone to receive grace. 
You can't will somebody to, to, to change and to be transformed by God. That must happen as we individually move into that relationship, as we attend that party and we accept the garments, the clothing of God's grace, and we put those on. The theologian Frederick Buechner put it this way, the grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party would not have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. The Lord says, I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. I think there's a lot of powerful ideas there. The gift of grace is there for us. The creation was made for us. God created the world good, and we are part of it, and God celebrates that. Yet we know things go wrong, and even as they go wrong, God continues to reach out, and it is for there for us to take, to receive clothing of grace and goodness and wonder and to put those on and to move forward. All too often, we try to make people do things. So often, we will love people if they do something for us, yet God's way is not that. All we can do is to prepare the place that is to come. Our preparation is like that clothing. Paul wrote about this in Colossians to the, to the Christians in that city. He put it this way, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost for, must forgive Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you have been called in the one body, and be thankful. Clothe yourselves. Put on the raiment of compassion and kindness and humility, meekness and patience. Forgive others because we know God forgives us. Allow yourselves to receive God's love. Put that on as a garment so that you go out into the world to share that with others. Finding hope in God through Jesus is not just about the wonders of a new relationship and the hope that can be delivered for that. It's not just about salvation. Finding hope in God through Jesus is also about transformation. God works in us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we find ourselves clothed in love to reach out to others, 
And that's the thing that binds us all together in perfect harmony. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.